Hello, I'm Tim Bousquet, and welcome to Examiner Radio. This is the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. Coming up... I'm out there a lot trying to remind folks that that maybe these things aren't the best idea or the best way forward. And the pipeline companies are always out there saying jobs, jobs, jobs. Why don't we like jobs? That's Stephen Thomas. He's the energy campaign coordinator for the Ecology Action Center. You've probably heard about the big announcement about TransCanada canceling the Energy East pipeline. I wanted to talk to Stephen Thomas about what that means for folks like us in the Maritimes. That project was supposed to carry oil from the prairies to New Brunswick, but I guess uh, it's been nixed. So let's get going with Examiner Radio episode number 133, 133. As always, Tara Tyur, our Examiner Radio producer, is in the studio. Hi. Hello, Tim. How are things, Ben? Things are uh, really well. Uh, you had a busy week. Uh, you were on that panel at Dalhousie? Tuesday night uh, panel on wrongful convictions, and it, it, it ran late into the evening, and it was a fruitful conversation. I met a lot of nice people, good crowd, um, cross-section of the community showed up, and uh, we had good conversation. Yeah, I heard um, uh, the interview with Ron Delton last week, Yes, right, when, uh, I mean, here's a, a man who was wrongfully convicted. Um, you had just has a incredible story to tell. Yeah. Just an incredible story to tell. And you know, he's he's one of the um he was a banker, right? Um white guy, uh educated, uh relatively wealthy for uh, compared to most other people who have been wrongfully convicted and he had a horrible time of it. So um other folks uh, have a much more difficult time, and he, he's the first to say that. Um, so it's good to see him out there advocating for those other folks. And uh, mm-hmm. We talked a lot about that, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, so panels like this, the one that you did at Dow, um, you think anything comes? Yeah, from? actually something very wonderful is coming from it, uh, partly out of the process of creating the panel in the first place, but it turns out that the law school over at Dalhousie is – preparing to create a ongoing class of law students who will look at uh, potential wrongful conviction cases in wow. Nova Scotia. Yeah, this is excellent and great mm-hmm. news. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's great training for the lawyers in training, you know, yeah. um, because they get to uh, dive deep into past cases and understand the legal issues involved in, in criminal law. Um, so it's it's good training for them, and hopefully they will identify more people who have been wrongfully convicted and, and go advocate for them. Yeah, we'll definitely have to follow up on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This show is produced by the Halifax Examiner, and produce means paid for. The, the budget for this show comes directly out of the examiner's bank account, which means we wouldn't have this show or the, or the Halifax Examiner with without your support, i.e. subscriptions. Uh, so please subscribe to the Halifax Examiner at halifaxexaminer.ca slash subscription. Uh, and in addition to your financial support, um, 
We love your ears. Uh, so remember, you can hear us on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax every Friday at 4.30 p.m. Um, or online at www.ckdu.ca. And, of course, the longer podcast version is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you find podcasts. Uh, you can find us by searching Halifax Examiner in that platform search engine. And do make sure to subscribe so you automatically receive a new episode every week. Before we hear from Stephen Thomas, let's do this Week in Review thing. What do you got? Uh, the Dome. I know. I know you're staring you at me. You know, here's the thing. I went to the uh, to the Dome for the first time a few years ago. And, of course, this is when I was well in my 40s. And I went on a hot summer night with uh, a bunch of friends and, uh, you know, people my age, right? Yeah. Including a woman who was a few years older than Were me. Were you dressed appropriately? Uh, I probably wouldn't have passed the dress code because we were wearing, you know, flip-flops. Shorts and T-shirts, but was interesting. We we uh, got to the door and uh, the doorman made us line up, and he said that we were too old to be there. He muttered this under his breath, kind of directed it at my friend, and I heard this. And what I should have said at the time was, "You know what? Good point. I'm just going to take my money from my well-paying job elsewhere." So. Thank so, you. So your sense is they want mm-hmm. a particular kind of clientele. Yes. Apparently not those who just want to go, maybe not puke everywhere and, uh, and uh, start fights. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we went in anyway, and uh, um, it that kind of stuck with me that it was kind of clear that uh, this was a particular kind of I haven't fire. been in there in maybe a decade. I used to work for this Arts and Entertainment Weekly, <laughs> and uh, I think I went – once or twice was something related to that. I'm not sure. Uh, wasn't I? I was not the demogra- target demographic at that time. I wouldn't be now. But I was trying to figure out what is. Why are we talking about this? Well, okay. So what the dome did is uh, it issued. Um, it has a new dress code, basically. Yeah. And it sounds it looks- a whole lot like the old one. Yeah, except it looks like it's trying to position itself as a nightclub, which could mean that it can charge more for alcohol. It can serve $15 cocktails as opposed to, you know, shots that are that are super cheap, that type of thing. Yeah. Is it unfair to say what they're trying to do is get a, a lot of college-age white women to appeal to, to college-age uh, dudes who will spend money on – yeah, but there's a number of places that would cater to that. Yeah. I, I, I cracked up when I saw that they wanted uh, to create a world-class atmosphere. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. You know, when you look at the list of clothing items that they're banning, like, okay, the croc thing, no crocs, I totally support. <laughs> no one should be wearing crocs outside of a garden. You know, I have torn jeans and they're $300 and I can't wear these. And, you know, L. Jones made some very good points, I thought, about the fact that that some of these items like gold chains, baggy clothes, bandanas, those are things that seem to be targeting uh, yeah. black people. Yeah. I, I think it's inarguable. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, so it's interesting. I was reading the CBC piece on this, and uh, it quotes uh, the guy from um, the company that owns the dome who said, uh, you know, look, we don't want to be dirty, the dirty dome, any place. And he says that they had this ban in place, and, and uh, you know. Now, now it's it world-class world class and, and clean. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know what? I guess I was never their audience anyway. Yeah. I, I think it sends a horrible message out to the world about stereotypes and uh, who who's respectable and who's not. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about Elle Jones, especially since uh, she, you know, she wrote for, for you on Saturday, a long piece about this, um, uh, about color coding, right? Dress yeah. codes. And uh, so when the news came out, about this cartoon in Frank magazine, I immediately was thinking, man, that woman, I I want her to know that I support her because yeah. I imagine it must be difficult to constantly, constantly um, being derided for what you believe in. And it is constant for her. Mm-hmm. I, I know that. Um, she sh- shared with me some of the emails and comments she gets, and it's a constant stream of just the ugliest, vilest, most racist crap you you can imagine. And this is, of course, this is the cartoon that was in uh, um, Frank magazine where it, it clearly is personal. It's clearly targeted because she is – it's a caricature, and yeah. she's drawn in a style that uh, makes – Black people look like monkeys. Yeah. I'm in the cartoon, too. And That's I, right. I, You're there. I look something like myself in it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, but it was there, – there's – it's just factual. It was a, a racist caricature of L. Jones. I am very reluctant to talk about Frank Magazine. It's like being in a pissing contest with an electric fence. <laughs> and it's what they want, right? Mm-hmm. They, they want – this back and forth it's what puts them forward as i don't know what what image they're trying to portray but telling it like it is to those those terrible anti-racists but um so i i've been keeping my comments relatively short on this issue yeah okay so i'll continue then (laughs) um you know i think people who say i didn't intend for anything to be racist um, the intention's not the point. Right. And uh, if something is racist, it is racist. And, uh, you know, the fact that um, Andrew Douglas uh, didn't apologize to her, but apologize right. supposedly to readers um, because he didn't want to attract perhaps what he might deem racist readers <laughs> is, is something. And, and that only came after a threat of boycott. That's uh, true. Uh, People were contacting Sobeys, which I guess is their major source of distribution at this point, aside from their mail mm-hmm. subscriptions. So maybe just by talking about this uh, now um, that we will be uh, maybe in a, a safe space cadet cartoon. Let's just uh, let's, let's, we'll just let's move on, on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, finally, I just want to mention Sidney Crosby uh, at the White House because we had talked about him a couple weeks ago. Whether he was going to go, um, what whether he was actually going to uh, shake Trump's hand, and all of that. Um, he did actually go, and he, he did, did actually shake Trump's hand. What'd you think of that? I thought. I thought it. You know, my feeling was that okay. I think you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go to the White House when there's this horrible 
person as president because you're legitimizing everything he's been standing for, especially in the context of this uh, national anthem stuff going on in the NFL and and now I guess the NBA too. And yeah, that was Sidney Crosby's choice to make. He could go or not go. But then I, I feel like if okay, if you're gonna go, go whole hog, man. Go up there and shake the guy's hand, mug mug yeah. it up for the camera, you know. Say yeah, I I'm with this dude. And instead, he took this middling, you know. Well, mm-hmm. I'm here, but I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, prominent, and it's it it seemed pretty cowardly to me. Yeah, he's quoted in a article. Uh, saying that he, you know, he said there was absolutely no politics involved. But the thing, <laughs> everything is political, of course it is. And the the thing to remember is Trump certainly used this for yeah. political purposes. I mean, he called the Penguins, everyone who was there, uh, true champions and incredible patriots. So Th- this could have gone any number of ways too. That's the other thing to avoid Trump for. I mean, he could have used the opportunity to, I, I don't know, challenge Sidney Crosby to an IQ test or to rail against Puerto Rico or you know, with the something to do with penguins and the denying climate. I mean, it could have gone anywhere because he's crazy. He's insane, and one does not appear on a stage with that insane person. Uh, willingly, I, I think I, I think you're foolish to do such a thing. Uh, it's kind of a miracle nothing like that happened. And I hope that Sidney Crosby reads um, what has been written about his visit to the White I know House, that every I time I write about Sidney Crosby mm-hmm. into the future, yeah. I will illustrate it with the photo of him shaking Donald Trump's hand. There you go. So, Sidney, food for thought. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back... We'll hear from Stephen Thomas with the Ecology Action Center. You're listening to Examiner Radio. I'm joined in the studio by Stephen Thomas, who is the Energy Campaign Coordinator at the Ecology Action Center. Hi. Hey, how are you? Great. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. We've asked you in to talk about Energy East. And it is my pleasure to talk about Energy East and, and the death thereof. Yeah. Uh, can you back up and for that listener who doesn't uh, know what Energy is, East is, can you explain it? Sure. So Energy East was a a proposal by TransCanada, one of the larger pipeline companies here in Canada. Uh, It was a proposal for a pipeline that was uh, more than $16 billion, uh, 4,600 kilometers long, going all the way from Hardesty, Alberta, and terminating here in in the Maritimes in St. John uh, for export. It'd be a 1.1 million barrels a day. Uh, This by far is the largest pipeline of any type proposed uh, in North America. And, uh, and just last week, it was, uh, it was announced that uh, this pipeline will no longer go forward. And what was the reason given for it not moving forward? Well, I, I mean, I hope that's one of the things that we can can tease out here today is uh, there were reasons that were given in their very short uh, uh, media brief uh, from the proponent. Uh, which included market conditions, and and there's no there's no mistaking that the market 
conditions or the business case for a tar sands pipeline in 2017 are bleak, uh, but there were a lot of other things at play too. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. You uh, at the Ecology Action Center and other environmentalists were opposed to the pipeline. Why, why don't you like jobs? <laughs> I've been hearing a fair bit of that today. Uh, and this week, and and I think that's you know that's always part of the conversation when we're talking about energy and we're talking about these projects. I'm out there a lot uh, trying to uh, to remind folks that that maybe these things are, aren't the best idea or the best way forward. And the pipeline companies are always out there saying jobs, jobs, jobs. Yeah. Why don't Why don't you like jobs? Um, uh, I do quite care about jobs, and I care about jobs here in the Maritimes in particular. I think uh, I think all of us have. Who who live out this way have a have a family member or for myself it's uh, two uncles and a brother in law who make their living out west, um, and I think that that this pipeline first would have been a continuation of that problem, a continuation of of uh, doubling down on on energy infrastructure out west, uh, and not focusing on jobs and building out energy infrastructure here in the Maritimes. So, you know, the, the folks are talking about the thousands of construction jobs for this pipeline, um, but but they never did exist, right? Uh, and it's the case in, in Canada that there are, there are more jobs in clean energy and renewables and efficiency and so on, more than 24,000 uh, in those industries than there are in the oil patch in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, there's, there's lots and lots of figures out there, but these... Um, the, these industries, the, the the clean industries, renewables, efficiency, create jobs far faster uh, and far more permanently than uh, than the the industries of old. Um, there's been much made on the pro pipeline side, uh, and these pipeline battles continue out west uh, and elsewhere. That uh, you know, this is Canadian oil, man. It's ethical oil. <laughs> um, and because we don't have this pipeline going to, Saint, to the refinery in St. John, um, you know, we have to buy that that unethical, unethical oil from, you know, those despotic regimes that we sell weapons to. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, how do you respond to that argument? I mean, it's hard to find any ethical oil nowadays. And I think there are a lot of folks, uh, a lot of indigenous folks in particular in Alberta who, who would really question how ethical Canadian oil yeah. is. Um, and in the age of the climate crisis, I don't know if there is a, a drop of ethical oil out there. Uh, but this, this whole Canadian oil for Canadian consumption thing is a, is a, is a way that uh, the folks who are benefiting from this pipeline are selling it out this way. Uh, more than 85%, uh, as much as 90% of the oil in that pipeline was for export yeah. and was for export raw. Um, so so no refining jobs here. Uh, and most of that oil, the vast majority of that oil was, was for export. Um, so if we were ever talking about a pipeline that was bringing Canadian oil resources to the East Coast for consumption here, then we can have that conversation. But yeah. Yeah. that really never was what this was about. You know, we have this gigantic pool of Canadian oil sitting off the coast of Newfoundland that's being drilled now, and that's being shipped primarily overseas. Uh, so if we really cared about, you know, using Canadian oil, we, it's already there. We could use that oil. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we have a history of that in Canada for sure. Uh, and I mean, the 
Irving's upset, of course, about yeah. about this not moving forward. But primarily because they would would have also really benefited from that export terminal. It was clear, and and they were certainly on record saying that the import contracts that they have with Algeria, Saudi Arabia, and and, and other folks. Uh, would would stay if Energy East came on. So it would make up a piece of the pie of the oil that we consume here in the Maritimes. Uh, but it's not as if they were going to stop importing oil from other countries. One of the uh, arguments that, that the Ecology Action Center put forward uh, concerned tanker traffic in and out of St. John um, through the Bay of Fundy and, and the Gulf of Maine. You know, tell me, tell me about that. What's the concern? Uh, the concern is that there be more of it. Um, so, so we were just talking about the imports that already exist and, and the tanker traffic that already exists yeah. in the Bay of Fundy. Uh, this would be introducing uh, diluted bitumen, uh, that heavy tar oil, uh, for the first time in the Bay of Fundy. Uh, really, no one knows how to clean that up in, in a marine environment. So that's that's the first concern. Uh, and, and secondly, there's be much more tanker traffic of any kind. So it'd be a 75% increase. In tanker traffic, and you know, a 300% increase in, in crude oil traffic. So. You know, I, I, I checked uh, just before I came to the studio, uh, and right now, on Thursday afternoon, there are seven oil tankers in the St. John Harbor, and that's with the existing uh, refinery and export from there. Yeah. Uh, one of those ships is coming to Halifax, but the rest are going, um, you know, overseas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so a seventy-five percent increase uh, realistically means that seven becomes thirteen or something. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm just wondering, uh, with the existing ships, should we, should we be worried? I mean, it, it, is the fear that one of these ships is going to founder and break apart and destroy the ecosystem in the Bay of Fundy, or or what? What exactly is the concern about? More, I mean, more tankers. Yeah, that that is the concern. That concern exists now. Uh, crude oil tankers in the Bay of Fundy might might always be a bad idea. Uh, I mean, we have the highest tides in the world in this bay, and and uh, introducing uh, crude oil through through an accident into that environment within twelve hours, right? It, it's uh, it, it's coating coastlines in the in Grand Manan and New Brunswick side, and here in Nova Scotia too. Um, so so that concern exists now. Uh, even with the lighter crude, that we know much more about how to clean up and much more about how to prevent its impacts. Uh, with the heavier crude, with diluted bitumen, um, it not only coats the surface, but also is neutrally buoyant in the water column and sinks. So it affects uh, the ground fisheries and affects ecosystems all up and down that water column. Another issue that's raised um, <coughs> in this debate, which I guess at least is over for the time being on this particular pipeline, but um, in, in the pipeline debate in general, is about, uh, well, if you don't let us ship this stuff uh, via pipelines, uh, we'll have to continue uh, shipping it very, uh, via trains. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've seen this uh, what, what, terrible disaster a while back in, in uh, Quebec, and, um, you know, pipelines are much safer, blah, blah, blah. How do you respond to those? I mean, with with the issue of moving uh, oil of any type um, uh, by train, uh, the the infrastructure exists now, and I think that's a big part of of the arguments that a lot of folks like myself are out there making. Is that uh, a decision to build a pipeline, for instance, is an enormous piece of infrastructure. The sixteen billion dollar pipeline 
uh, they're not going it, to, it's not as if we're going to build this thing and it's going to pay itself off and then we're going to tear it down in 10 years from now. Uh, this is an investment for 40, 50, and, and likely more, uh, more period of time. So, uh, so for, for me, with, um, with the way that we're doing things now, those can be turned down much quicker and in a much more managed way. I think that it's critical that we shift from oil and gas infrastructure of all types as quickly as we can. I think it's also critical that we um, that we're careful about the investments that we make and that we do that in a managed way, right? Um, that we account for the workers uh, who, who are in those existing industries, that we train those folks up and retool and retrain them. Um, and those things are much more possible with the existing infrastructure and just turning that down than doubling down and continuing to dig that hole that we're in, so to speak. The kind of argument behind the argument here is about climate change. Absolutely. Um, could you quantify, did you quantify, uh, could uh, could you talk about specific numbers of greenhouse gas emissions and things like that related to this this pipeline? Yeah, they're huge. And that was a big part of, of what ended up happening in the last few weeks where, where TransCanada did make their decision. Um, so this was the largest pipeline of any type proposed, so the impacts were huge. Um, and it's not as if they were moving peanut butter or, or, or anything like that through it. It, it was the, the most emissions-intensive fuel on Earth with, uh, um, with the Alberta oil sands. Uh, so, so the numbers that, that we and, and our colleagues at uh, Pembina Environmental Defense have, have crunched is that this pipeline with the upstream, downstream, and, and through emissions would be 256 million tons. So, so upstream is the at the tar sands, oil sands, I guess we're supposed to call it now. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, and downstream is what? When it's eventually burned. Okay. Uh, so upstream is all the activities of actually getting this out of the ground. Uh, the pipeline itself, the only thing that's usually considered is the energy it takes to move that resource through the pipeline. And then at the end of it, it's uh, that, that's what I meant by saying that it's not peanut butter, it's not some other yeah. resource. At the end, the whole point of moving this is so that someone can burn it. This was a huge victory for you because you got the regulator to for the first time pay attention to that is that am i correct on that yeah uh yep so as far as we know this is the first time that the national energy board uh has considered upstream and downstream greenhouse gas emissions it's usually just that very narrow scope of uh the energy it takes to move the resource i you know i'm i'm on your side on this uh i look at this and i go well every time we build more infrastructure for the oil economy we're we're increasing greenhouse gas emissions and people can say yeah well we'll just buy it from somewhere else or whatever and burn it there and there's truth to that and we we need to make uh, progress on those fronts too um it's curious to me that you know people make arguments about oh jobs and are putting debt on our children and all but somehow we never talk about the climate change debt we're giving our children just wondering what you think about that. Well, I think as as a young person and, a, and as you know, someone who who cares about other young people and and children and grandchildren, I think what you're saying is definitely true. Where the decisions we're making today are uh, are impacting um, 
the, the how livable this planet is going to be for those generations. Um, but we're sitting today at one degree of warming. We're half yeah. the way there. And climate impacts, as we've seen this summer with, with the, the string of Category 5 storms through the, the Gulf of Mexico and in the Caribbean, um, those impacts are here now and people are dying now. And people are being displaced now, and entire islands are being made uninhabitable uh, yeah. right now. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so the the greenhouse gas side of it is something that I spend a lot of time on too. Um, and this, uh, the the work of carbon budgets and um, how much more the the atmosphere can take before we've committed to one point five or two degrees of warming, and that's central to a lot of the arguments we make against these these mega projects. Um, because with the existing oil and gas wells and coal fields out there today, uh, if we were to just continue developing the ones that already exist, we would blow past those targets. So every new piece of infrastructure, every new pipeline, every time that you hear about a coal mine opening yeah. uh, anywhere, and not only here in Nova Scotia, uh, or any offshore project, those all represent projects that are over and above what we know is safe. Um, so those are the lines being drawn in the sand, and those are the... Uh, the climate change conversations that are really present in in conversations around things like the energies pipeline. You, the Ecology Action Center, other environmentalists, had um, claimed victory and celebrated this uh, announcement that energies wasn't moving forward. Is it, Do you feel that, that this was a, a victory um, really created by environmentalists, or oh, no. was it... No, I, I don't. Um, no, I, I've been trying to be careful about saying that too. So uh, so this is a victory. Uh, I think this is a major turning point. But that victory belongs to, to Indigenous folks in particular, uh, to frontline communities who've been fighting against this pipeline for far longer than anyone else, for more than five, six years in this case. Uh, and folks have been fighting against uh, the expansion of the tar sands itself and, and infrastructure like this for a long, long time. So it's it's those folks and folks who came together to support them that I think that really belongs to because they've been hearing for a long time that they're wasting their time and trying to oppose a project like this. It was very recently that uh, that the Energies Pipeline was was a done deal and was you know moving forward no matter what, and everyone was wasting their breath. And it's those folks who I think really um, carried it forward. What do you do now? Well, now I'm excited to. Um, well, I mean, first to support other fights, we have the Kinder Morgan pipeline that's that might be under construction soon on the West Coast. We have Line Three, uh, and and those pipelines have very similar implications, right? It's the same stuff moving through them, and it's a lot of the same problems uh, moving through uh, through Indigenous territories and threatening water sources. Um, so, it's supporting those fights, I think, is is first. But uh, but I'm excited. Uh, to get to the work of actually building out the green economy and actually building out uh, the industries that are already uh, flourishing here um, and refocusing on those. I think sometimes uh, huge oil and gas or or coal infrastructure projects are a bit of a distraction from the work that we can do to come together to build those solutions. So in Nova Scotia in particular, we have hundreds of renewable energy jobs, 1,300 energy efficiency jobs here in the province. Uh, and it's about strengthening and extending those programs to make that happen here. And if people listening to the show wanted to uh, assist your efforts, uh, what would they do? Uh, well, they could certainly uh, visit our website there, ecologyaction.ca, and, and get a hold of our energy team. We were part of a lot of uh, conversations happening right now about exactly that. 
my colleague Emma Norton's running uh, a series of, of roundtables in communities across Nova Scotia uh, about climate jobs. Um, so meeting folks where they're at, I think a really important aspect of the work that we do moving forward is something called the justice-based transition. Um, so we're talking a lot about, you know, turning down the, the, the dirtier parts of the way that we produce energy and turning up the cleaner parts. But I think we also have to really consider who benefits, right? Uh, so, so one of the first questions that I think we have to ask ourselves is who is affected first and worst by the, by the climate crisis and how can we prioritize those folks in our solutions? Uh, so the project that Emma and our team are putting on now is, is asking just those questions uh, with folks uh, in, in Indigenous communities and in communities of colour, um, in, in communities that historically have had uh, industries that are very carbon intensive that stand to maybe not, uh, maybe not be around for that much longer. It's those folks that I think have to be out there. Great. Hey, um, good work. Uh, to the extent that you were part of this success, congratulations. Um, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, I've been speaking with Stephen Thomas, who is the Energy Program Coordinator at the Ecology Action Center. You're listening to Examiner Radio, and we'll return right after this. That's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast produced by the Halifax Examiner. I'm Tim Bousquet. And I'm Tara Tyer. As always, we'd love to know what you think. Send an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. Also, let us know if you have any story suggestions for future episodes. While you're at it, please subscribe to the Halifax Examiner. Scattered today, <laughs> I feel a little scattered today. So you're gonna have to add out some a lot of ums and ahs and you knows. <laughs> Today's forecast calls for scattered ums <laughs> and lightning shots of you knows. Yeah, we'll 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 get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um.